Hello, and welcome to People of the Pod, brought to you by American Jewish Committee. Each week, we take you beyond the headlines to help you understand what they all mean for America, Israel, and the Jewish people. I'm your host, Manya Brashear-Pashman. Today's special episode kicks off our October focus on the rise of anti-Semitism and what it means for America. Tune in again Thursday when Amy Spitalnik of Integrity for America tells us how to sue a Nazi, a deep dive into the effort to sue white supremacists who marched in the Unite the Right rally in Charlottesville four years ago. Today, the European Union unveiled a new comprehensive strategy to combat anti-Semitism and preserve Jewish life. If implemented by all EU member states, the action plan has the potential to dramatically accelerate the fight against Jew hatred in Europe. Here to discuss the strategy's impact on that fight here in America is Simone Rodin-Benzaken, Managing Director of AJC Europe, and Daniel Schwamenthal, Director of AJC's Transatlantic Institute. Simone, Daniel, welcome to People of the Pod. Great to be here. Simone, I'll start with you. The EU's new strategy is obviously intended to protect Jews in the EU's 28 member states. But what does it mean for all Jews in the diaspora? So first of all, Jews in Europe have very clearly felt somewhat abandoned for a very long time. Really over the past 20 years, AJC and AJC Europe in particular have really worked tirelessly to counter anti-Semitism and to convince government officials and how serious the problem really is. So Jewish communities have suffered, they have died, they have moved, and frankly, they have nearly lost hope for quite a while. So one of the central messages of the uh, EU strategy paper says that Europe can only protect itself and can only prosper if the Jewish communities also prosper. And I think this, from my perspective, is really the message that is central uh, because it's a message that we have repeated for really for the past decades. And really the idea that the fate of Europe, and I would say probably the fate of all Western societies, is very clearly linked to the well-being of, of its Jewish communities. Um, and anti-Semitism is and always has been an indicator of a society in trouble. And that means that anti-Semitism can't be the problem of Jews alone. And so today for, for the Commission to really make this so clear is a very, very important, not only symbolic, but very important political statement. But more clearly, I think that the fact that the strategy aims to deal with anti-Semitism from different sources as well, from the far right, from the far left, from Islamists, that it clearly identified uh, Israel-related anti-Semitism is once again something that we have asked for such a long time. And the fact that the commission now so clearly says it is one, once again uh, very, very important. But you are also asking more sort of what, what concretely does it change? I think the fact that the focus on security, the fact that the commission will contribute financially towards security for Jewish community is the same goes for online anti-Semitism, which is very clearly tackled in, in, the, in the strategy. The other thing is the commission insists also on the fact that it's, anti-Semitism doesn't only concern its EU member states, but also that it has something to do with foreign policy. So it's a very important step. It's a very important political step. And I think at AJC, we have been working for this for the past 20 years. We can only be seeing this as an important step for Jewish communities and for Jewish diaspora communities more widely. 
You know, you mentioned Israel-related anti-Semitism, and the strategy clearly identifies that as a major problem. Daniel, is that a, a major policy shift for the EU? It's not a major policy shift, but the culmination of uh, a long discussion. And it really already started when, in 2017, the European Parliament endorsed the IRA definition working definition on anti-Semitism, and then in 2019 also the European Commission did so, where and the IRA definition clearly addresses Israel-related anti-Semitism. Uh, but it is, of course, always encouraging to see when then this is also spelled out very clearly. So the IRA definition is uh, referenced 26 times in uh, this document, but it's also good to see that they specifically use the word Israel-related anti-Semitism. And as Simona said, this is something that AJC has long been advocating, and we've had many, many discussions with the Commission, and we are very pleased to see this now spelled out very concretely. So if this wasn't necessarily new, what new approaches did this strategy take? One major surprise for me is how boldly the Commission said, first of all, they want to eradicate anti-Semitism, and well, bless their hearts, I mean, but I think the, the goal is definitely correct. But what is also relatively new is the idea to also address anti-Semitism in third countries. So not just in Europe, but also make it part of the EU's foreign policy, and specifically with those countries, the Mediterranean and what, what is called here the southern neighborhood, with which the Europe, first of all, geographically has close contact, but also is very closely linked through immigration, but also through trade and economic agreements. And here the EU is saying very loud and clearly that they will also use the IRA definition to address anti-Semitism and incitement in those third countries. And they specifically mention its possible incitement in textbooks that would violate UNESCO's standards. And this is something that we here in Brussels at the Transatlantic Institute have been working for a very long time when it became clear that the Palestinian textbooks have dramatically deteriorated and incorporated promotion of terrorism, incitement against Israel, but also against Jews and anti-Semitism. And last month, European Parliament's Budget Committee voted to withhold some money from UNRWA because it is using Palestinian textbooks that still contain anti-Semitic references. So they voted to withhold some of the money unless those books are changed. So this reference in the strategy it's not a coincidence. It is clearly a reference also to this. And again, something we've been working very, very hard on, and I'm very pleased to see this here reflected. Simone, you mentioned earlier that this strategy recognizes that Europe will only prosper if anti-Semitism is defeated or eradicated, as the EU uh, hopes to do with this strategy. You know, the same could be said for democracy in America. You've said on a number of occasions that Watching anti-Semitism in America is like watching a horror film on repeat, because much of what you see is familiar, having played out in Europe over the last two decades. Why did it take two decades for this EU strategy to come about? And did previous EU governments turn a blind eye to what you had been seeing? 
The short answer, I think, is yes. The reality is when anti-Semitism started to surge in Europe, um, I very well and vividly remember leaders, uh, David Harris, traveling to Europe, speaking, imploring, really, European government leaders to deal with the issue of anti-Semitism. They did not want to look reality in the eye. The first step was to look away and not to admit uh, that in modern, tolerant, post-World War Europe, anti-Semitism was back. And then once some politicians started to admit that there was a problem, the second step was not admitting its sources, and in particular not admitting the fact that anti-Semitism had changed its face, and the fact that it was now coming from other minorities, and in particular Muslim communities, who they themselves were victims or potential victims of racism was very, very difficult to admit for many European political leaders and basically, I think, opened up many other questions related to the European Union's own, own past, its colonial past, its past with the Holocaust, its difficulties in integrating minorities and I think more sort of widely sort of questions its very model. So I think it was a very politically difficult issue to admit. The other fact was that anti-Semitism was also coming from parts of the left and not only from the far right, who had made Israel and Zionism basically the ultimate evil and who themselves sort of felt morally superior as being, you know, an anti-racist, anti-imperialist political movement who would never admit that they were being anti-Semitic and who would never actually even consider themselves to be anti-Semitic. And I think all of this made it very, very difficult for European leaders to admit it. And yes, so the problem became bigger. And yes, it has become more difficult to solve. Yes, we've wasted a lot of time. There are many Jews who have suffered from it, who have also died. And so it took a lot of time, a lot, of, a lot of moral political courage by some political leaders in Europe to finally speak out and understand where and speak out about where the problem was coming from as well. And I think what we are seeing today in this European strategy is really sort of a process that took two decades of understanding and admitting that this is something that has to be taken, take on. And I sincerely hope that it will be a much faster process in the United States. Daniel, of the EU strategies unveiled today, which ones are already in place here in America, or at least might work here? And then likewise, which, which measures are desperately needed here, but other circumstances have to change first? The most important issue that would also be instrumental in tackling anti-Semitism in the United States is obviously the Israel-related component, which was very controversial in Europe to tackle it and still is, and is also in the United States the most difficult aspect, and which is why the Commission's endorsement of the IRA working definition and also the endorsement by a majority of EU member states is so critical. Unless you can define the problem, you cannot even begin to solve it. And I know there is a big debate in the United States around it. Some see it, and also some here in Europe, falsely see this as some form of censorship. But this IRA working definition, which also tackles Israel-related anti-Semitism, is of course not legally binding and is not meant to be. It's meant to educate people about what are some of the so-called modern forms of anti-Semitism. So not 
criticism of Israel, but denying the right of the Jewish people to its ancestral homeland, demonizing Israel, applying double standards. So I think this is a critical debate that the United States needs to have. And once I think this has become broadly politically accepted, I think then the real pushback uh, can start and is absolutely necessary. But we all know that this is indeed the, the most difficult question and, and the one that makes life also particularly difficult for many Jews in the United States, be it students on campuses, um, etc., who, who are being molested, attacked, vilified because of their real or sometimes even only perceived support of the state of Israel. This is really the crucial question that we need to answer today. Simone, Daniel, thank you for joining us to discuss this hopeful news across the pond. My pleasure. Thank you very much, Maya. To learn more about the anti-Semitism in Europe that led to this report, go to ajc.org slash anti-Semitism in Europe and tune in later this week for our conversation on how to sue a Nazi. Thank you for listening. This episode is brought to you by AJC. Our producers are Kukong Do and Atara Lakritz. Our sound engineer is TK Broderick. You can subscribe to People of the Pod on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Google Podcasts, or learn more at AJC.org slash People of the Pod. The views and opinions of our guests don't necessarily reflect the positions of AJC. We'd love to hear your views and opinions or your questions. You can reach us at peopleofthepod at AJC.org. If you've enjoyed this episode, please be sure to tell your friends, tag us on social media with hashtag people of the pod, and hop on to Apple Podcasts to rate us and write a review to help more listeners find us. Tune in next week for another episode of People of the Pod.